Thank you, Adel, very much. Um, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we do thank you, and it's, it's such a, um unbelievable responsibility to speak on your behalf, Lord Jesus, and I just pray that you would speak through me to this morning, Lord Jesus, because you know every single heart here today, the condition of it, the need of it, and I pray, Lord, that you would be honored, Lord Jesus, and you would be effective this morning, this Lord Jesus, and that you would touch lives and hearts in your name. Amen. That was a great song that Jenny sang. Um, I wrote down one verse that just says, Savior finds the heart that was lost. And I pray that may the, the Lord Jesus find the heart that was lost. He found each one of our hearts that know him as Lord and Savior. And praise God for that. I was, um, I was blessed a few weeks ago because I had went over to a wonderful family's house and had dinner here in our assembly. They invited our family, and, and I had um, a very, very special time with a dear sister here in our congregation, and her name is Sally, and she doesn't really know how much she touched me that evening but she was just sharing what the Lord had done in her life and the history of how the Lord just got her attention. And I was, I was blessed by that. And she was telling about First John. And for the last three weeks, I've been in First John, meditating in First John. And John is a very, very incredible man. And if you think about John, John is the one, he wrote five books in the Bible. But he also wrote, you know, in those five books, he wrote Revelation. And what an incredible book, Revelation. And then Sylvia's going to have a Revelation seminar soon, I hope. And it's just such a deep book. But I was just reading a couple of verses about John. And, and in John thirteen twenty three, it says that, there was reclining on Jesus' bosom one of the disciples whom Jesus loved. And then in John 21:20, 20, it says, Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who had leaned back on his bosom at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? And I thought, what a man that this man John was. It says that he laid on Jesus' bosom. Now, we're talking about Jesus. We're talking about the man who died for each one of our sins. And John, he's, he's wrote, he wrote that he was loved by Jesus. Now, Jesus loved all the other disciples, and Bill McDonald says about that, he says that he held a special place of affection in the Savior's heart. The, love loved all, the Lord loved all the disciples, but John enjoyed a special sense of closeness to him. And the reason I bring that up 
is because when we go to 1 John and we read 1 John, it's good to know the man who's writing 1 John. It's good to know that this man was close to the Savior. And he begins even the, the chapter in chapter one. He says that which was from the beginning, which we have heard. He says we have heard. He's talking about him. We have seen with our own eyes. We have felt with our own heart. He felt the heartbeat of Jesus. So as he's giving this message to the churches, he's letting them know that I was with him. I'm not just an observer who went online and Googled something like who is the Christ, which we can do. And we know about interpretations and we know about how somebody can just tell us a story about something they've experienced. But John says, I saw him. I felt him. I touched him. I loved him. I laid on him. I was close to him. So I have the authority to speak on his behalf. And I was reading a gentleman who was talking about the book of First John. He said there was four different reasons why he wrote the book. And there's probably many that you can read. And you read it on your own. It would be a blessing. He said the first thing was to bring back the joy that was now missing from the church. It was a, the church was struggling then with joy. So he wrote it to encourage them. He also wrote it to help his readers live victorious lives because there was a struggle to live victorious. Because sin, and we know these experiences today, how hard is it to have the joy today in the midst of this situation that we're all in? Our circumstances. So it was good to try to encourage the joy and was good to try to encourage them to live victorious lives. And then the third reason, he said, was to inform his readers of the deceivers. And we need to be ready. We need to be aware. We need to be understanding that there's deceivers out there. There's people out there. There's forces out there that want to take us astray, that want to lead us away from our Lord. And to remind us of the importance of having the truth the foundation of our faith and be grounded in the truth because we need to have that grounding, don't we? Because when the deceivers come, we can recognize them because our eyes will be focused and understand the truth and we'll be able to recognize a lie and a fraud. Those were the three things he mentioned. But the fourth thing was the thing that really grabbed me. And it happens in 1 John chapter 5. And it's part of John's concluding remarks. He had gone through the book and he had shared the experience of with Christ and he had encouraged them to, to, to live the life that Christ wants them to live, to be built up in the faith, to truly have the joy, to truly have victorious lives, to truly have the truth grounded in them so that they can look out in the world and be able to interpret evil and deceivers. He gave them all these truths, but then he, he went he says, there's another thing. There's another point. And when we go to John chapter 5, 1 John chapter 5, 13. He says, I write these things. Please, please listen. 
He says, I write these things. I want you to know something. I write these things to you who believe. In the name of the Son of God. So that you may know you have eternal life. Not think it. Not believe it. Not have a strong inkling of it. But that you may know. And I read and amplified, kind of opens up the word know, and it says, with settled and absolute knowledge. Absolute. Bill McDonald wrote, he says, John wrote these things so that the people may know that they have eternal life. He says, in other words, the scriptures were written that those who believe on the Lord Jesus may have assurance that they are saved. Assurance. There is no need of hoping or guessing or feeling or groping in the dark. It's not presumption for one to say that he is saved. John states in the clearest possible manner that those who truly believe in the Lord Jesus may know that they have eternal life. And when Sylvia was given a message on Thursday, she mentioned about knowing God more and the whole word know. Understand something. I talked about John being so close to Christ. Because we, we have to really understand that Christ's message to the people, his creation, is that he wants us to know him. He doesn't want us to think about him. He doesn't want us to misunderstand him. But more than that, he wants us to know that we have a relationship with him. He doesn't want us to think that we're saved. He doesn't want us to think that we're going to heaven. He doesn't want us to think that we have eternal life. He doesn't want us to think that. He wants us to know that. And he wrote the book to help us to know. John says, I want, he wrote these things so that you would know that you have eternal life. Not that you would think it. Not that you would have doubts. Not that you would just have misconceptions. No, to know it. Why? Because there's a something, there's a power in the assurance of knowing. There's a life that comes out of the person who knows. There's a, there's a life that generates from the man, the woman, who knows that they have the Savior in their life. It's not something that people can understand who don't know him. But there's power in knowing. And we're going to do with three points real quickly. And the first point is what must we do to be a Christian, to be saved, to have eternal life, to go to heaven? And I'm just going to read the Bible. What does the Bible say? The first thing is what happened with Nicodemus. Nicodemus comes to the Lord, and he's talking to the Lord, and he's given this whole thing about all this and that and this and that. And, and in John 3, verse 1, it says, There is a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council, and he came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. We know that's something special about you. We know that you are a teacher. For no one could perform the miraculous signs you were doing if God were not with him. He knew that, too. God was with him. But in reply, what did Jesus say? He says, I tell you the truth. He says, I want you to know something. I want you to know something that's really, really, really important. I don't want you to think about it. 
I don't want you to look at me as some teacher. I don't want you to do all that. I want you to know. And he says to him, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Wow. He says the first point under what, what, what must we do? You must be born again. Jesus said it. I'm just reading it. He says you must be born. If you want to go to heaven, if you want to have eternal life, if you want to know that you're saved, you must be born again, first of all. And then 1 John 8 and 9 says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all righteousness. We must confess and repent. That's what we must do. There's no magic. We must be born again. We must confess that we're a sinner. We must repent. Romans 10.9 says that, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in him with your, in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. What, what must we do? Jesus, you must confess in your, with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. We must believe that Jesus died for our sins. must also desire to know the truth. 1 Corinthians 15.3 says, For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for the sins, for our sins according to the Scriptures. What must we do? We must believe the word of God. Now, we're going to move really quick. We're going to end on time. I guarantee you because it really isn't much to do with this. It's just so clear and so wonderful, the word of God. But we have to understand that the first point is we need to know what we must do. We must be born again. We must confess. We must repent. We must believe that Jesus died for our sins. We must believe that. But then the second point has to do with the marks of a Christian. Because once you do it, you got to be rec- you got to be able to recognize that it's been done. You know, people come sometimes to a dealership and they'll have some work done on their car. That is something that they can't see because it might be an adjustment somewhere. They don't get to see it. Well, it's just all faith that it's working and done the way it was intended to be done. But one thing about a Christian is that it's not something that's unseen. If we truly are born again, there are marks. And. I was reading again Bill McDonald because I read him a lot regarding this. He says, if you have the marks of those who are the children of God, then you can know that you have been born into the family of God. If you have the marks, and if you read 1 John, you'll see a lot of ifs. If you have this, you have that. If you don't, you don't. Because, again, John is trying to encourage them to understand that if you have these things, then you have the proof that it's real. So what are the marks? I was reading a story about 
the examples of salvation. And it was a native that was converted in the island of Madagascar. And they used to present themselves for baptism. And they were often asked at baptism, like, you know what Adel and, and uh, Mike do? They're sitting up there, and they're in the middle, and they're in the water, and they're like, so, okay, what do you have to say? What happened? What, what happened? Why are you here? It says they asked him, what particular sermon touched you? It says the answer usually was that the changed conduct of others who had become Christians was the first that arrested their attention. They said it wasn't a sermon. It was a man or a woman living the sermon with the marks of salvation. They looked differently. They act differently. They touched me because it goes on. I knew this man and he was a thief. And another was a drunkard. And another was very cruel and unkind to his family and others. Now they are all changed. They're respectable. The thief is an honest man. The drunkard is sober and respectable. The other is gentle and kind in his home. There must be something in a religion that can work such changes. That's marks. What's the marks of a Christian? A changed life. How can it not be changed if the Spirit of God is residing in the man or the woman? Leading the man or the woman to all truth. How can we not be changed when God is in us? And I read years ago, Spurgeon said it has to be a dramatic change. It's not some, okay, now I save 11% versus 10% or I tithe or I go to church on Sunday. No, I didn't see anything about going to church, that they went to church more often. What I saw was the thief was now honest. What I saw was the man who was cruel and unkind was now friendly and sweet. And the drunkard was sober. Marks of a Christian. And we like to talk about fruits and being in the you know, memory class, we always talk, we're in the fruit of the Spirit, so we're really dealing with the fruit of the Spirit. And you know what the fruit of the Spirit is? Marks. The fruit of the Spirit. It didn't say the fruit of the flesh. It doesn't say the fruit of Ron or Adel or man or woman. It says the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of God, meaning the marks of the Christian will have the fruit of God. Love. Are we lovers? We love because he first loved us. First John 4, 7 says, dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. It doesn't come from us. It comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. And those that don't, that's where John is. And John's kind of tough. 
John can be kind of tough because it says, you know, if you, if you say this and you don't do this, there's something missing, something shaky. Do you have the marks? Do I have the marks? When I go out into the world, does the world see a change Cooper? Or do I just blend in with everybody else? Do we obey him? Do we walk in the light? Do we love this world? Because before I was saved, I loved this world. Do we love this world now? Because if we love this world and we say we're born again, that's not a mark of a Christian. Because the Bible says in 1 John 2, 15 to 17, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone, listen, if any, this is John again talking. He says, if anyone loves the world, loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Meaning, you don't have the marks of a Christian. You're not saved. You don't have the gift of eternal life. You're not going to heaven. Last point. I told you, I'm going to get you out of here on time. But I want you to think about what I'm saying. You have to. Because I'm going to go back. John was close to Jesus. And John went to the island of Patmos. And Jesus revealed to him the whole picture of what was going to happen. And there's going to be a day where he's going to come and return. And in order to get the ticket to walk through the kingdom gates, you must be born again. You must be born again. And how do you recognize if you're born again? You have to have the marks of a Christian. Do you have the marks of a Christian? And he wasn't beating the church. He wasn't in their face screaming at them. He was saying, check out your life. Do you sin continuously? How are you dealing with sin? Do you have victory over sin? That's a mark of a Christian. Now, we sin sometimes, but do you have a pattern of sinning that's just like before you were made the confession or made the profession of being saved? If you do, you don't have the marks of a Christian because you don't have the power over sin. You don't have the power over the flesh. These marks have to be distinctive or else they're a lie. So the last point is do we have the marks? Do you have the marks? Do I have the marks? You remember when John and the disciples were kind of hanging out and Jesus had died and been resurrected and they didn't see him? Remember that? Remember how they were talking about him and then Jesus showed up? What was the first thing he did? He showed them his marks. 
Why? That's the proof. That's the proof that I went to the cross and I paid the price for you. Here's my marks. Look at them. Look at them. They're clear. Do we have those marks? What kind of fruit are we showing the world? What are we showing the world? And I have some bad news and good news regarding the marks. I'm one of those really strange people, maybe, about bad news and good news. Somebody comes up to me and say, I have some bad news and good news. What do you want first? I say, give me the bad news. I don't want the good news first. I go out with Adel when we eat, and he says, well, we're going to eat well today, Ron. We're going to have some broccoli and something good. And whatever's with the broccoli is good, just to let you know. It could be bread, but it's good. So the first thing I'm going to do is smother the broccoli with ketchup. And I'm eating the broccoli up, and then I'm going to really savor whatever the other thing was. Whatever it is, it's still better than the broccoli. I love you, brother, but it still is better than the broccoli. It really is to me, because that's how I eat. I eat the vegetables, I eat the stuff I don't like, I don't want any. It's like, i got to eat this first, and then, oh boy, I get to savor the good thing for me. So I have bad news and good news. And I'm going to give you the bad news, because that's how I think. And the bad news is, verse. if you go to 1 John Chapter 1, verse 8. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. That's Sally's verse, huh, Sal? And you know what happened to Sal? At least my interpretation, please forgive me if it's not accurate, is that when the preacher preached that and he said those words, if we claim to be without sin, if we claim to have Christ in our lives, if we claim to have a walk, if we claim to have the marks, if we claim to be living a certain life, we deceive ourselves of the truth. We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we claim to have fellowship and we don't have the marks of a Christian, we deceive ourselves and we are lying. And maybe not sincerely lying, but we are lying. And the truth is not in us. That's the bad news. That's the bad news. If we think we're saved and we don't have the marks of a Christian, we are not saved. Bad news. It's real. It's true. Young people, if you say you made this little profession and you're the same and you don't have the marks of a Christian, I want all of you to know, young people, that you are not saved. It's a lie. And John and his... His love and mercy, he just gave that message. He wanted them to understand. God wants us to know and he wants you to know that you have eternal life. I think that is wonderful that God cares so much about each one of us. And that's where John got to at the end of the book. He says, it's important to God that you know that you're going to heaven. It's important to God that you know it. Not that you think it. Not that you believe it. Not that you hope it but that you know it. And he says, how I help you to know it is pay attention to the fruit. Look at your life. Look at the marks. Do you have them? Honestly, if you don't have them, you're lying. It's false. It's fraudulent. It's not real. Bad news, bad news, bad news. I apologize. But there's good news. And the good news is the other half of the verse. Or the other verse. But it says, if though, but if we confess... 
If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. That's the good news. And the good news also is it's not too late because he hasn't come yet. He could come in a second, a minute, an hour, a month, a year. I don't know. But he's coming. And he's coming only to those who are what? Born again. You must be born again. But not just that. You must have the marks of somebody born again. You don't just say it. You don't just claim it. Like some people say, claim it and you get it. You don't claim it and get it. You repent. You fall on your face. You confess. You believe in the name of Lord Jesus Christ. And then you will be saved. And then there will be marks of a Christian. You'll look different. You'll walk different. You'll talk different. You'll be different. How can you not be different when Christ is living in you? In me. How can we not be? How can we go out and sin and still say that we know him? How can we go out and do the things we used to do and say that he's our man? He's our 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 God. How can we not love him and love the people of God? How can we do that? Those aren't marks. That's a lie. And I already told you what you must do. We did that. Right? Jesus wants everybody in here to know that you have eternal life. The question is, is now that you've kind of gone through this, because we've kind of gone through this, we talked about what it means to be saved, and the free gift is to all of us. We talked about once you are saved, how you're supposed to look. The question is, do you look like that? When you look in the mirror, do you see the marks of a Christian? If you don't, the good news is today you can see the marks by confessing, by repenting, by turning away, by saying, Lord Jesus, I invite you in. Change me. I read something. It was salvation possibilities, and I'm going to read it in the end. It says Longfellow could take a worthless sheet of paper and write a poem on it and make it worth $6,000. That's genius. Rockefeller could sign his name to a piece of paper and make it worth millions of dollars. That's capital. Uncle Sam can take gold, stamp an eagle on it, and make it worth $20. That's money. A mechanic can take material worth $5 and make an article worth $50. That's skill. The artist can take a 50-cent piece of canvas, paint a picture on it, and make it worth $1,000. That's art. God can take a worthless Sinful life. Wash it in the blood of Christ. Put his spirit in it. Make it a blessing to humanity. That's salvation. And that's the gift that's available today. Salvation. That's it. Told you we were going to end on time. But... Is this going to be the ending for some of you who looked in the mirror and you really looked and you said, I don't see the marks? Some of you said that. You did say it. I don't see the marks. Then are you going to make a decision today to say, Lord Jesus, I confess, repent, turn away, I believe. I invite you in because I want to see the marks. Genuinely. I want to see salvation. Truly. 
I don't have the marks. God is interested in you today having the marks. But you're going to have to make a decision. And everybody's going to bow their heads and close their eyes. And I'm only going to ask one time, one time, I'm only going to ask one time if there's anybody here that wants to make a decision because you don't see the marks of Christianity in your life. And today you're going to say, Lord Jesus, I want to see the marks. You just put your hand up and back down and I'll pray for you. Anybody? Well, Lord Jesus, we have a group here that I pray to God that they all have the marks. But if they don't, and you know, hound them, Lord Jesus. Put pressure on their heart. Burden them. Show them your love. Show them the life that you offer. Appeal to them, Lord Jesus, as you constantly do because you love us so much. And I pray for the believers in here that do know and have the marks, Lord Jesus, that you'd help us to continue to develop those marks and that the world would see us and that we truly would have the marks of a Christian and that the world would be turned upside down because of who we are in you. And I praise you and thank you in your name. Amen. Amen.